0: The game doesn't always go the way you think it should. The game really doesn't always go the way you think it should. Of course, I'm talk- talking about that classic board game of American history, Monopoly. Now, Monopoly is one of the most popular board games in American history, and most of us are familiar with the game. I have played it probably many times from the t- years we were kids. It's that game where you move your piece around the board with a roll of a dice. You collect $200 when you pass go. And along the way, you try and buy up property and collect houses and hotels and put hotels on your property so you can collect rent with people who land on your space. And the interesting thing is that while most of us have played Monopoly, and are probably very familiar with what I'm talking about, what is... What is really ironic is most of us probably don't play by the rules. Let me give you an example. Did you know that when you're in jail, we often assume in our playing that you cannot uh, accept rent when somebody lands on your space, but in point of fact, according to the rules, you can actually collect rent from other players while you are in jail. Many of us uh, also uh, use the free parking space As a place uh, to collect fines and other issues, uh, other uh, taxes and things like that that are are, uh, incurred over the space of the game. When in point of fact, the free parking space, you know what it actually is? It's a free space. That's all it is. It really isn't meant to be a place you collect things. And probably one of the most overlooked rules of all is when you land on a parcel of land, say like Park Place or St. James Place or something like that, You, we often think we have a choice on whether we want the property or not, and we do, and we can say, pass, I don't want to buy this piece of property. Did you know that actually the rules of the game say at that point, the bank is supposed to put that piece of, of property, that parcel of land, Up for bid among the rest of the players, and the highest bidder gets it. That's the way you're supposed to play. In other words, the game doesn't always go the way you think. And guys, that's true not only in Monopoly, but it's almost definitely true in the work of evangelism, of reaching out with the gospel to people, as we've been talking about throughout these chapters in Romans 9 and 10 few tasks, few games, if you will, and what we do take more twists and turns than reaching out and telling people about Jesus Christ. And the Apostle Paul knew that more than anyone as he shared the gospel with a great many people in a great many places in his time. And, and in chapter 10, he is calling us, his, the church, uh, and particularly the church at Rome, to getting the gospel out to people, the gospel about that covers a righteousness that is by faith and not by works, of how God accomplishes our salvation for us in Christ and how we receive Him by faith. And, And as a result, he really gets to, in these next verses, the twists and turns of how the game of evangelism works so that really things happen that you don't expect. And that starts with the great news of verse 17 in our text. Look at verse 17. He tells us this magnificent truth of how people come to Christ, how people become Christians. It says, Faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. How do people come to Christ? Is it magic? Is it God zapping people Like the genie in the movie, the Disney movie Aladdin does with his little finger, you know, zing with people. Nope. Though certainly the power of the Holy Spirit is involved when people become Christians, it's not magic. Do people come to Christ uh, by um, an encounter with nature, a walk through the woods, viewing a painted sky, uh, seeing the power of creation, even the stars at night? Certainly, those things would stir um, people to ask bigger questions of beauty and bigger questions of purpose. Dare I say, uh, a bigger creator who designs the universe. But in the end, that's not how people come to Christ. Do people come to Christ when they are at the bottom of the barrel in their life and they have nothing left? Well, certainly God can get our attention when we hit the bottom of the barrel and when we struggle with certain things in life and hardships and different stuff. But in the end, no, you don't automatically become a believer in Christ when you hit the bottom of the barrel. No. What actually Scripture says and makes clear from our text is this, is people come to faith in Christ by hearing the gospel. God has chosen of all things Words to transform us. That should be no surprise. Think about Genesis 1. How does God create the world? He creates the world through divine fiat, through the word. He speaks. Uh, God said thus and so, and it was so, is what Genesis 1 says. Jesus himself was there at creation and is later on in John 1 called the word become flesh flesh. In other words, he was the word incarnate among us, God's word uh, in presence and in speaking into our world. Jesus brought that word of redemption to us. But here's the question. Which words are the words that bring people to faith? What are we talking about? Is it just talking about anything? Well, Paul makes it clear in our text in the second half of this magnificent verse in verse 17. He says, hearing comes through the word of Christ. We don't just talk about the word being the word of church, which is what we do in the south in the Bible Belt as we talk about church a lot. It's not the word about a particular preacher and his giftedness, nor is it the word about uh, a particular experience. With God. Nah. It's what changes people's lives. And makes an impact in them. Is talking about Jesus himself. The word of Christ. That word of Christ. Is the word about Jesus. Who came into the world. Who lived. That perfectly holy life. That righteous life for us. Who died for the unrighteous. Who were rebelling against God. For the forgiveness of sins. And. Who was resurrected from the dead to overcome the curse of death that came upon those who did not uh, call, who, who rebelled against God in his lordship. The Word become flesh. Jesus himself spoke of himself in the Word of Christ. Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life." Jesus is saying, don't you hear it all the way around? If you want life, I'm it. You come to me. A real live person, a living Lord, resurrected from the dead. I am life, look to me. That's what Jesus is saying in those texts. And there's an amazing implication to all this that faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. The implication is this. You and I. Are the chosen vessels, the ironic, unexpected, surprising vessels through whom God wants to communicate the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the ones who preach. We are called to draw people's attention to Jesus Christ in our conversations of daily life, even sometimes in formal presentations of the gospel. And the only way we can do that is to fix our eyes on Christ and to pay attention to him so that when we speak, we speak in a way that we have seen of Christ. What he's done in our lives, in people's lives, in history and what scripture says about Christ himself. So this is the year of gathering. And this text is just like all about what we're talking about this year and gathering people to the kingdom. And we're praying together that God would help us to go out and share with our friends. But here's the question that really comes out of the text from here. What should we expect? What should we expect when we share the gospel with people? Well, Paul wants to tell us a little bit about what that experience is like. And the first is simply this. Some people are going to surprise you and they're going to trust in Christ for their salvation. If you have a part of planting seeds, of sharing the word, of being a part of separate groups of people to share the word, you can make a difference in people's lives. You might even lead somebody to Christ. You know something that's energizing, that is energizing in Christ. And the interesting thing about that is it's usually a surprise who comes to Christ. I have a friend Uh, When I was in seminary, he and I spent a lot of time together, and um, he had spent a significant amount of time as a missionary in a closed country that I can't tell you about. And in that closed country, he worked with the television network, and he, as a result, had uh, extraordinary uh, access to a lot of the leaders in this nation. And because he had access to the leaders of the nation, he was hoping that he could take the gospel and he could really prepare it in such a way that he would be really persuasive and he could be a persuasive guy. So one day, he got an opportunity to meet with this guy who was a, a significant leader in this nation. And he had, had, had it all planned out. He had figured out an elaborate presentation of the gospel. He had figured out how to persuade because he knew this guy enough that he, he knew where his uh, buttons were. So what does he do? He sits down with him, and he does this amazing presentation of the gospel. And the guy doesn't budge spiritually. Doesn't make a dent. It doesn't seem at least. And he's thinking, wow, I did all this work to try and persuade my friend who is genuinely interested in talking to me about this. But in the end, he's like, I don't know, this just doesn't resonate with me. Some weeks later, he had another friend come to him who was a, a part of, of this nation. And he said, hey, I want to meet with you and hear about this Jesus guy that you keep bringing up once in a while. So they sit down and meet. My friend, after this experience with this other leader in the nation, thought, well, yeah, man, I'll just tell him about Jesus. But <laughs> we'll see what happens. Whatever. So he goes, and he tells Jesus He's kind of half hearted. And you know what happens? The guy becomes a Christian. And he starts following Jesus from then on in his life. And it goes to show that you and I can sometimes try and predict who would become believers by sharing the gospel. But in the end, God's in control. God is in absolute control and he will bring those people whom he wants to be his own to himself. Our job is simply to be the messengers of the gospel. God uses words to change people's lives. And that's the real art you have to understand is that we are so familiar with the words and their use so much that we don't know the power of them to change people's lives just by talking about that one little word, Jesus himself. So that brings us then to another question. When we share the gospel with people and they actually uh, are engaged with us in talking about Jesus, will all those who we talk to Jesus about come to know Christ? Even the ones we're thinking will come to Christ. Well, Paul has something to say about that in verse 18 of our text. Paul asks, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the end of the world. Paul asks two important questions in our text here in 18, and then in 19 when he says, did Israel not understand? He's asking these questions because very often... You think people who've been exposed to religious uh, education, even Christianity on some level, will respond. Paul is talking, in particular in our text, as he has through Romans 9 and 10, about the Jews. Have they not heard? Have they, that is Israel, not understood? And he's talking about the Jews because they presented a dilemma in Christian outreach. Uh, The Jews, you might recall, uh, from the past were God's people. And from chapter 9, verse 4, we find out that they had inherited some amazing stuff. Paul says the Jews, the Israelites, had to them belonged the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the law and the promise of Scripture, the patriarchs. And get this, even Jesus himself was a Jew, showed up among them. You would think that because Christ was a Jew and the, gospel, the word of God from the Old Testament was given to the Jews and the Israelites that they would have come to Christ in droves. But they didn't. Some came to Christ. I mean, obviously all the apostles were Jewish. And then many uh, who came to Christ in the early church in the book of Acts, there were many thousands who came to Christ. But in terms of the large mass of Jews who lived throughout the entire Roman Empire, only a small portion were coming and receiving Christ. So Paul asks, have they not heard? Have they not heard? And Paul's implicit answer to this question is this. Yes, they have heard. Yes, they have heard. And he quotes Psalm 19. Psalm 19 is all about how creation declares the glory of God. And then it goes on to talk about how the law of God declares the standard of God. It even reveals God's plan. The Jews, in other words, had had God revealing to them all kinds of truth in creation and especially in the Word of God about Himself And his coming Messiah. And Jesus himself came to them. And taught them. And hung out with them. And yet despite. Jesus hanging out with them. And despite Jesus sending out his apostles to preach to them. In their synagogues all over the Roman Empire. They didn't come to know him. Not only that. They were called of all people. In the Old Testament and even into the New, they were called to be a light to the Gentiles. To be a group of people, a city on a hill to whom God would draw people to himself. And yet, they refused to do that. They didn't reach out. Of course, there were exceptions. There were exceptions to that. There was Rahab the harlot. She was not a Jew by nature. Uh, or rather, by background, there was also Uriah the Hittite. We could talk about a lot of people who who weren't uh, Israelites, who became followers of Yahweh God. You know, it's in the design of God's people in the Old Testament that they were supposed to reach out and draw people from all nations to themselves. Listen to this. God gave the promise to Abraham that he, among his people, would draw people to himself. The Lord said to Abraham from Genesis 12, from your, uh, Go from your country and your kindred to the land that I will show you, and I will make you... Uh, I will make you... I can't read my writing. I will make you a great nation. <laughs> and I will bless you. And then it goes on to say this. You will be a blessing to the nations. But here's a sad part of Scripture. The Jews didn't seek to bless the nations. Uh, some became believers, to be sure, like Rahab, but they simply didn't reach out. Why? Why didn't they reach out to God? Why didn't they reach out in terms of drawing in the nations to worship the one true God and Yahweh and His coming Savior? The answer is simple. They heard, but they didn't hear. They heard But they didn't hear. My favorite illustration of this comes from a movie, Mr. Holland's Opus. I don't know if you guys have ever watched that. Mr. Holland was, uh, as a character, was a young high school band teacher who reluctantly took the job to make some money. And in the process, he was trying to teach young minds, uh, teenagers, high school students how to play music individually, and how to play together. Mr. Holland had one student, a redhead with ponytails, who was doing all she could to learn to play the clarinet. But let me just put it this way. She was bad. She was just playing bad. And then she revealed to him that she practiced for hours on end, and she was still bad. Well, Mr. Holland worked with her on and off time and again, But to no avail. And finally just when she was about to quit. And said I'm done. I'll never do this. He changed the whole game for her. He said I want you to do this. He put on a record. Played music. And he took all the sheet music from her. And said play the song. She said I don't have sheet music. He said no you know it. You've practiced a million times. You know the notes. Play the music. And she started to play. And suddenly the beauty of the music came. She played in a beautiful way. What was the difference with this young lady? Well, I'll tell you what it is. Beforehand, she knew the notes. Afterwards, she knew the music. This is the problem in religious circles, is that many of us know the notes of Christianity, but few of us truly know the music of what it means to be loved by God in Christ and to enjoy grace and to live out of that grace by reaching out to other people. We too often struggle to believe the music. I can think of other ways to say this. We can see the colors, but not the beauty. We can feel the feelings, but miss the true significance of the moment. We can know the facts, but not the truth. The Jews, a very religious people, missed the obvious. What about you and me? What about us? We are the religious people of our time. Are we missing the obvious in Christ, the eternal personal Lord, engaging Him in a very real manner (laughs) so that we just get stuck on the notes, so that we get stuck on the facts and miss the larger picture of who God is and what He's doing for us in time, space, and history. Paul asks a second question in our text today of this very people who had resisted the music. In verse 19, he asks, did Israel not understand? Probably a better translation, did they not know? It's not just, it's not just again, uh, uh, knowing facts or understanding facts. It's just really knowing in a personal sense. And, P- and Paul gives three answers in our text that uh, get to that question. And again, he gives us the implicit answer. Yes, they understood, but they didn't understand. They understood they could tell you the right answer, but they couldn't really get what it meant to know God and to follow him personally and really. Paul gives examples from from Scripture itself, and he starts a... Paul in verse 19 says, Moses summed it up for them in the formation of a nation. From Deuteronomy 32, he quotes verse 19, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. (laughs) You know what's interesting? Is Moses is prophetically saying, this is what you guys are going to do. You're going to harden your hearts. You're going to follow the idols. And I'm going to make you jealous by bringing in an unexpected people. To follow me. I mean you know the story of the Jews right? Let me remind you what Old Testament says about them. God delivers them out of Egypt. In an incredible way with a plague. uh, With plagues and the defeat of the superpower army of the world. And what do the people do about it just a little bit later? They cast a golden calf. And call it God. Idolatry. So God judges them. God then delivers them again into the promised land by by taking them in and defeating nations in Canaan. What did the Israelites do? They start worshiping the local idols. God judges them by allowing the nations to push back on them. They repent and follow the Lord. Hundreds of years later, they get kings like David who were supposed to build the kingdom and to advance the kingdom, not just politically or socioeconomically, but spiritually, especially. And how do the people do as that kingdom expands? Well, they start worshiping idols again, like the Baals. In the northern kingdom, they sought the Baals most intensely so that Elijah prophesied against them. And in the southern kingdom, they look to a different kind of idol. Other countries, other nations, money, affluence, soft idols, if you will. What does God do? He judges them. He kicks them out of the land. The northern kingdom in 722 BC with the Assyrians coming in. And then in 586 BC, he kicks out Judah in the southern kingdom. With a man named Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. In that time, God's people were spread out all over the place. And you know what's interesting is while they were spread out, God used them. He used Daniel to influence Nebuchadnezzar. He used Esther to influence the king of Persia, the superpower of that time. And then he calls Jonah, a prophet, to go into, of all places, that nasty cesspool of idolatry, Nineveh, where the Assyrians were based. And what happens when he goes there? Horror of horrors to to Jonah. They become believers in Yahweh and repent. And, of course, you remember Jonah... He starts pouting about it. Man, God, there you go. You convert them and brought them into your kingdom. I'm mad about it. You know we don't need these people. And then 400 years, or actually some years later, after all this goes on, Jesus shows up himself. And the Jews reject him. Along with the Romans, to be fair. It wasn't just Jews, but Gentiles rejected him too. And all the while, they don't get it. They're smug in their religion and their prosperity. They're dabbling with idols because, I'm just bored with Jesus. I'm bored with God. What else is out there? And so God judges the people ironically. All the while, God is jealous of their spiritual adultery against him. And so he turns it around on them and says, I will gather my people from among the nations, which was my plan all along, and you'll become jealous in the process. This is how God works in our lives, by the way, is provocative things that occur where he stirs us up. What can we glean in our lives from this text? You and I can play the religious game of church But don't miss the point. Know the Lord. Know the Lord personally. Don't miss the point that you and I were created to be in a living relationship with the God of the universe through Jesus Christ. It's His righteousness that gets us in and keeps us in. And that we can know God intimately and personally through the power of the Spirit. We can know Him. John 17 says it this way. This is eternal life, that they may know you, the one true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. You want to know what eternal life is? It's knowing God in a living relationship with Him. Better yet, Hosea 6, the prophet speaks to Israel in their adultery and says, Your love is like a morning dew, Israel. I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. I don't want your religious activity. I want you. Jesus calls us to this profound opportunity to engage him in a living relationship. And he reveals himself to us in the process. The problem with our text today is that the Jews go on and they won't listen. In verse 20, Isaiah is so bold to say, I've been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who do not ask for me. There he's talking again from Isaiah 65 about the Gentiles coming in large numbers to know God. And how God reveals himself to people who weren't even looking for him. Whereas the Jews were supposed to be looking for him. They were supposed to be seeking him, but they didn't. What does this mean for us? It means we're called to not only know the Lord, but to seek the Lord. Like you and I are not made to actually just sit back and enjoy the blessings of life with God. We're made to pursue him because he's more important than the blessings. In fact, I think some of the struggles we sometimes go through in our lives are tests to remind us that he's the most important thing in our lives, not the blessings he gives. He calls us to that unique place of seeking and wanting to know him. The language of seeking in scripture is that of thirsting, of hungering, of longing. I need you. Where are you, Lord? Seeking is the opposite of unbelief. What does unbelief look like? Scripture talks about it. It's the hard heart, the deaf ear, the blind eyes, the stiff neck. It's what the parable of the sower was was talking about earlier, how some of the seeds fell in a path in rocky soil, even in thorny soil, and those seeds seemed at first, especially in the rocky soil and thorny soil, to respond. But as things got really hard, they checked out. Because it wasn't a lie. They were missing the blessings. They weren't looking for Christ. The one seed that fell on good soil. And produced fruit. That's real. Faith. In action. True faith. Bears fruit. And I would submit to you. That's even true in outreach. What is true faith? Well it's the opposite. Of unbelief. It's a soft and humble heart. It is eager listening and teachability. It's open eyes to the truth. Yeah, even hard truth about ourselves. Like I'm willing to actually live with the truth about me because I've got a Christ who covers me. And it is the turning of the neck, not the stiff neck, but the willingness to turn and follow Christ. Christ. As he calls us to do so. That's what faith looks like. Following Jesus because he's the Savior. He's the Lord. He's the one we give all of our lives for. Paul finishes in our text with a third answer to the question. Did Israel not understand? And he says, uh, but of Israel, he says, all day long, I've held out my hands to disobedient and contrary people. (laughs) Is this not Israel? Is this not us? God holding his hand saying, I'm here for you. I want you to follow me, but I'll give to you more than you ever dreamed of in the Holy Spirit and all the spiritual blessings you couldn't even come up with and imagine. Come. And Israel just busy saying, Uh, be back in a second. I got business over here with his idol. And you know what's interesting about what he says here? His hands are out. Still to the Jews. Still to them to this day, right now. He is offering them the gospel and inviting even the hard-hearted to follow. My exhortation to all of us here is don't be hard. Be soft. Listen to the Lord. And for those who don't know Jesus... Again, I ask you, what are the idols doing for you? It's the Dr. Phil question. Really, is it working for you? Hmm? Is yourself working for you, even if that's an idol? Or is there a Christ big enough to save you and make your life new even today? Trust in him. For those of us who are reaching out, who are exploring what it means to give the gospel to others you got to understand evangelism is a feedback loop. Here's what I mean. It takes faith to express your faith. You grow by actually taking a risk and walking into someone's life with the gospel. Some will come to faith. Some won't. Our job is just to be faithful with the gospel and talk about Jesus well. The Lord will do the rest. Admittedly, The game of reaching out does not often go the way we think. But then, all in our actions of reaching out in Jesus' name, we can know God more. And that is worth it all. In conclusion, there's a story about a young man walking along a beach and he noticed an old man ahead of him reaching down to the beach. And he saw in front of him all these starfish along the beach for miles and miles they had washed up in a storm and the man was reaching down the old man was reaching down grabbing the starfish and throwing them out in the sea just little by little he was doing it the young man comes up to him and says "Uh, what are you doing the old guy said well I'm just picking up these starfish and putting them back in the water so they can live and the young man said are you serious they're like Thousands and thousands and thousands of starfish going for miles and miles and miles. What difference does it make to throw these into the water? The old man looked at him, looked at the starfish in his hand, threw it out in the water and said, made a difference to that one. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you today. And we want to learn more about how to share our faith, but it doesn't come naturally. So teach us, show us, reveal to us. We need your grace today to give us a hunger to know you, to engage you anew. I pray you'd bring new life to our church. A life that's born of the Holy Spirit, not of us getting more busy or coming up with all the right answers. But is born of the Holy Spirit working through the power of the Word of God. Move in our hearts, Lord, so that we would want to know You and get tired of settling for less. Give us hearts to seek You, beginning with me. And in the seeking, help us to find You and find You in such a way that we'll give back to the rest of the world and tell others so that it might make a difference even in the lives of one. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing.